This is Poetic Metal. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you for listening to Poetic Metal. This week, Sean and I are discussing Metallica's Hardwire to Self-Destruct, Side B. So that includes songs like Confusion, Man Unkind, Here Comes Revenge, Am I Savage, Murder One, and Spit Out the Bone. We will dissect each and every song and give you our full analysis, and let's get right to it. Yo, so what's up, Sean? How you doing, bro? How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing really well. Yeah, man. You know, it was bright and sunny today in the 80s, like thrash metal Metallica. And I'm ready to talk about side B for Hardwired to self-destruct. How about you? I'm ready. Uh, we're getting some early uh, summer weather here in the Northeast, and I couldn't be more excited. I'm done with snow, and I'm ready to talk about side B. We were trapped under ice for way too long, and the day that never comes, it's finally here. It's sunny. It's springtime. Metallica's a month away, and here we are talking about the second side of Hardwired. So going back to October, November 2016, me and Sean, our last podcast, discussed the experience of listening to side A of Metallica's Hardwired to Self-Destruct, and Metallica fulfilled a career dream a lifelong dream of theirs where they actually metallica released a double disc album it was something they've wanted to do for nearly 20 years uh, just a little metallica history load and reload was originally meant to be a concept record but both the band and their management and their record label decided to split up load and reload let them work on the songs from reload for an extended period of time that way they didn't have to tour for nearly two or three years like they did for the black album so as we said last time, we waited eight years for a new Metallica record. They delivered 14 songs, which is a lot, the most they've had since Load. And going back to, again, early November, Metallica had only released three singles for Hardwired, and they were Atlas Rise, Hardwired, and Moth into Flame. In order, it was Hardwired, Moth into Flame, and Atlas Rise. And then only a few days before the actual release, Right before the album release, they put out Dream No More, Confusion, Man on Kind, Murder One, a music video for every single song on the record. And that was pretty interesting because we've waited for so long. You know, I listened to Dream No More, lost my mind over that track. Confusion really blew me away with the message and the tone in that song. And then the last song I listened to before I cut myself off was Man on Kind. I knew that I there was like one song that I hadn't heard on side A. I knew there was about four songs that I hadn't heard on side B. So I wanted to at least experience something new for the first time when I actually bought the record. So, yo, Sean, like with the music videos and everything coming out before the actual release, how did you go about determining what to listen to and when to listen to it? It's, it's funny. There, there was such a contrast because uh, that week that all that was happening, I was in Disney World of all places. So you know, I was I was in Orlando and uh, with my family and, and you know my kids and stuff. And <clears throat> it was it was interesting because uh, you know I'm sitting there like waiting in line to like meet princesses, which is not very metal. But <laughs> I'm watching like all the videos. So 
I, I definitely, like you mentioned, I went all in and I, I took bits and pieces. I remember coming home, like, or coming back to the hotel room at night and just like watching as much as I could, uh, as they released. And I definitely watched everything as soon as I could. It's two different experiences listening to, uh, listening to the album and then watching the videos at the same time. It, it's, you know, it, it can be a little distracting because you're trying to get into like the, you know, the video itself and then you're not paying attention to the song and, you know, what have you. But there are some pretty cool fucking videos for, for side B. A lot of them in a way, like, uh, with the themes, they were a little heavier and a little deeper messages in, in these videos. Not necessarily the songs were, were heavier, but the, but the messages were, were deeper on, on side B for the videos themselves anyway. So, yeah, I just I just listened as they were released, and I went all the way to I went all the way to the end to spit out the bone. Yeah, man, I I just we waited so long, and I love music videos. Like, I mean, let me rephrase that. I loved watching music videos back in the day on MTV, MTV Two. There is a certain vision that differentiates from listening to the song itself. You know, you bring right. in directors, you bring in a film crew, the song itself takes on a, a life of its own when it becomes a music video. And honestly, like I said, I just wanted to experience at least half the songs for the first time on my Walkman. I know it's the most random platform, but yeah, I just wanted this experience to replicate the feeling I had when I listened to Master of Puppets for the first time back in like 03 through my Walkman, through my headphones and Essentially, I went to a, like a record store about 40 minutes from my house. I got like an exclusive poster and sticker and the double disc album. And I was pretty pumped. I listened to Side A on the way home. And I think this record is best listened to separately. I wouldn't recommend listening to Side A all the way through Side B because you're talking about like 80 minutes of music, which could feel a little overwhelming. And I have to admit, like my first listen through, I think I was kind of like tired from like all the. <laughs> I worked that day. I drove like I drove far. I got the album. I listened to most of it. Like I, I listened to side A pretty much by the time I got home. And then, you know, I was kind of tired. I was like, man, should I listen to side B? Should I just wait for tomorrow? I was like, fuck that. So I started listening, <laughs> and it was a different experience compared to side A. I I, I have to admit, I think side A has some of the stronger songs, but there's some stuff on side B to me that's like very memorable. And yeah, man, what'd you think? I'll put it this way. The more I listen to side B, the more I like it. Um, I think that I'm, I'm glad that we did this podcast separately. Uh, I think that it should be heard two different ways. I like what you mentioned about load and reload and the original concept, uh, because those albums are different as well. I, I like, the fact that that we're splitting this up because um, side B, you you can get lost in it if you if you're coming off of side A and you go right into it, you can really get lost. You know, the, like which direction am I facing when I'm listening to this? And it's not because the music is you know not favorable or or bad or something. It's just that they're doing something completely different on side B than that they are on A. It's it's a different album. And when I was watching all the videos and I'm down in Orlando, I didn't know that because they're music videos, you know? So it's like, it's not really a side A or side B kind of experience until you get the record itself. Um, so I didn't really know. So songs were kind of going in all these directions and 
not bad, but just like different, then I was wondering about the cohesiveness of the record. But I think there's two different cohesions going on. There's an overall theme for the album, but then side A has a sound and side B has a sound. And um, and I think it's it's best listened to, like you said, and I think it's best spoken about in these two separate segments. For the sake of not comparing one to the other, that's I don't believe in comparisons in that sense. Like I don't feel the need to compare Justice to the Black Album or Ride the Lightning to Master of Puppets. Like yeah, the it, records it, all have their it, own it, life the to them. It's the equivalent of saying I'm going to compare the first half of Injustice for All to the second half of the record. It doesn't make any sense. You know, um, it's just a it's a masterpiece uh, in itself. But uh, I believe this is too. But because it is a double album, it is for a reason. I think. I think. You know, I think Lars and the and and uh, and Hetfield, you know, mapped this out. And I don't think anyone really speaks about the fact that they made a double album. I don't think anyone talks about that. I think they're just saying Metallica has a new record and it's great, and the reviews are are you know are good and what have you. But no one's really talking about the fact that it is a double concept record, which I think is important. You know, it's crazy to think, like, 20 years later, they actually accomplished that goal, to reiterate yeah. what I said in the beginning. Yeah, and it's it's a feat for a band whose classics have, you know, eight songs, nine songs on them. You know, it's it's a feat. And, and Metallica, you know, it, the, the older we get, the older they get, the songs get longer. So, so <laughs> it, it is a lot of music. It's a lot of music, like you said. I look at it from two angles. Like one, it, like it could be a little overwhelming if you try to experience Hardwired all together in one sitting. But at the same time, I commend Metallica for putting out that much material because I think in hindsight they knew, like, hey, this is a long time coming. I mentioned in the last podcast, I graduated high school, then Death Magnetic came out, and then I graduated college, and Hardwired still wasn't even in like the horizon, let alone like only a few years away. So yeah. I, I think we needed that much material. I think it was good for them to just get it all out, to literally spit out the bone. <laughs> they did. That's what they did. They did. They delivered, man. Yeah, because, you know, um, Death Magnetic, what is that, like 10 tracks? I think it's like 10, 10 tracks, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's definitely not short or sweet by any means. It's It's long as well, but it's 10 songs and that's you know kind of what we came to expect except for the load reload format but you know we didn't really think we we're going back there but but this is this is a true double album and it deserves uh you know that's why anthony and i decided to split this up because it, it deserves its own time and while the concepts kind of you know rally around this same theme of you know what is happening to mankind are we destructing you know are, are, are we our own worst enemy the the way that it's delivered is completely different than side a to get right into it the first track on side b is called confusion which you know you go from like halo halo of fire you know to conclude side a which is like a mid-tempo guitar driven epic and then confusion starts off side B and to me it's really in the truest sense like the perfect blend of the black album and justice just in terms of the riffage the tempos it's more mid-tempo driven 
But just to hear that those triplets, it feels like 1988 meets 1991 Metallica, which is sort of like a fan fiction, a really cool combo. It sounds like a song that could have like been written in between you know 1988 and 91. And really, the focus on this song is on like veterans who struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder. And the music video, I think this is definitely the strongest video out of the like out of all 14 songs. And Sean, I know this is like a topic that's near and dear to you. And I want to hear your opinion on like hearing the song, what you thought about the video and your personal experiences in that sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm a veteran and I was in the Marine Corps and I served two tours in Iraq uh, in 2004 and another tour at the end of 05 into 06 with the Marines. So, you know, and I, I also happen to have uh, PTSD and, and struggle with it uh, daily and weekly and monthly, <laughs> every day, every year. Um, and it is, it can be degenerative if you don't um, take care of it or, or, you know, get some kind of help. Um, I remember back with Death Magnetic when the, the video for The Day That Never Comes came out. And it's kind of like in the desert and it's kind of like, you know, military related. And I thought, oh, cool. But, you know, it wasn't really uh, as far as I, I thought they, they, you know, it, it wasn't the direction that I, it, it didn't do what Confusion does. So this track is lyrically like straight out of, you know, almost like my past or, or any veteran's past or a combat veteran's past. And just the lyrics like, you know, uh, war's never done, rub the, rub the patch and battle on. Basically, you know, basically saying like, you know, you're okay, kid, like, you know, keep fighting the good fight. And then you get out and, and you're still told the same thing. But, you know, now you're in corporate America and it's like, all right, well, we don't really understand the veteran population. So, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just, you know, get a job? And why can't you just be normal for for lack of a better term? Meanwhile, you've done more with your life. You've done more than, than, you know, most of the folks around you. Uh, and you did it when you were 18, 19, 20, 21. And now they're telling you, you know, oh, you need this, you need this to get a job. You need this to succeed. And with PTSD on top of all of that, it, it just doesn't make things any easier. So when I saw the video for Confusion, you know, it's it's extremely literal, and it's it's there's not a lot of uh, alliteration. It's just it's just it is what it is, and it's it's war and it's hell. And the idea with or not the idea, but the reality with PTSD is that the war goes on with you no matter where you are, uh, way after you leave. You know, you leave the battlefield, yet its horrors never heal. That's exactly the lines from the song. So if I was to pick a tr uh, track on the album that means that that is the most sentimental to me, um, it would definitely be Confusion. And I'm excited because Metallica is my favorite band. But to say like, hey, there's a song that is about me, you know, I could say that like it, it's about veterans and it's about the community that I care about and support. Um, I do a lot of advocacy work for veterans and help them get jobs and stuff. So to pick out a, a song out of their, their catalog and say, like, hey, that relates to me 
exactly and it's not just a song that i like and it's not just a metal song and it's not just you know something that i can you know, that i appreciate it's something that i went through and for headfield to go down this road i'm just i'm very proud of the band you know they they purposely are not political they stay out of it which i commend them for sorry skype completely failed on us and we're back sean you were just talking about James Hetfield, Metallica in the political atmosphere, and you had like an epic uh, discussion going on. I want to hear more. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, so I, I was mentioning that Metallica stays out of politics, and I respect them for that. You know, with this song, they're they're supporting veterans, and you know, it's I do a lot of advocacy work for veterans, and I'm a veteran myself, and uh, this song is so important to me, and. It's just, I, I like the the fact that they used uh, shell shock. The word shell shock. Uh, when I when I was in college, my my thesis was on PTSD in all of its different forms, and um, you know I, I I could I could link it up later, but uh, the term shell shock was used during World War One, and you know the, as time went on and and more doctors started you know diagnosing this and. And people started uh, getting political about these terms. We got farther and farther away from shell shock. And if it was still called shell shock today, uh, a lot of vets would probably get the care that they need. Uh, but when you say that they have post-traumatic stress disorder, it's like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, it's like, well, well you, you've completely removed the human aspect of it. Shell shock sounds like, okay, holy shit, a bomb exploded next to your face, so it's affecting you. PTSD doesn't. It sounds like nothing, and it's definitely not nothing. So, I I, I commend Headfield's lyrics. They're extremely uh, blunt, and you know, there, there's no um, you know beating around the bush with this track. I'm just I'm just very proud every time that I hear it. I love the song itself. I love the rhythms, like the the jagged intro kind of thing that you're that you were talking about could definitely fit between. Justice and Black album, but uh, I also wanted to mention that when I saw an interview with Hetfield, he was talking about not only could this be a veteran's PTSD, but it could also be a musician's or somebody on the road or somebody who's witnessed a horrible accident or somebody who's gone through any kind of trauma in their life. PTSD comes to people who've been in traumatic incidents. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Does it always have to be a veteran? So I was glad that he mentioned that because there's a lot of people out there that need help, uh, that that want help and don't know where to go. And I think that this song could lead them in the right direction to say, hey, there's other people like me out there, whether you're a veteran or you're not. So um, definitely, to me, the most important song to me on the album, not the best song on the album, not you know my favorite song on the album, but the most that I can relate to my real life, which is something... I haven't been able to say too often in music, and and this is uh, th that's that's how I feel about confusion. Now I'm curious: Would you say like this song personally has kind of moved into your top ten in Metallica songs? And by the way, like everything you mentioned, really, I commend you for your strength and you know your service. And on behalf of everyone listening, I would Thanks. say thank you. You know, and yeah, so I'm I'm curious for you personally, like having digested and listen to this song where would you rank it now where what does it mean to you personally in terms of metallica's catalog 
Yeah, it's it's up there. I, I think in order to do that analysis, I'd have to do a top ten, <laughs> which I which yeah. I dread. <laughs> but I guess if I was to do a, a list of Metallica songs that are important to me and not just that I like, it would be up there. It would be it would be on that top ten because uh, it relates to my real life and in a way that you know. Um, I mean, so much of this song, so much of these lyrics are, are just so literal to what not only I went through, but those who had it much worse than I did. You know, some some of those who never even came home, uh, and creates confusion. Not just you know they're they're no no longer with us, but it creates confusion for their families, and 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 you know it creates the the entire concept of PTSD is about confusion. People are confused about what it is and the veterans are, com- are confused that have it. You know, we have it every day and, uh, you know, it's a perfect title for a perfect song uh, about things that, that not only am I passionate about because of the advocacy and outreach that I do, but because of because I went through it, you know, so it's def- it would definitely be up there, but I'd have to make that list, so that'd be kind of dreadful. <laughs> we'll do that as a podcast. Let's uh, do we'll, that. we'll rank our top 10 favorite Metallica songs, which might be the most painful podcast ever, but one I well, do look forward to. <laughs> you know, because it, it wouldn't be like a best of, it would be like, why, why are they your top? And, you know, the reason why and are there stories behind them and we could do a whole thing. That'd be great. Yeah, man. It's not about like the best of the best. It's about like what you and me, like how you and me connect with these songs on a personal level. Right. When I first listened to the song, I watched the music video and like you, like pretty much I, I thought of you immediately. And just like what I said to myself is like, man, I know like Sean will not only love this song because of the musicality, but this video, I really think, speaks to everything. We've like the conversations you and me have had about your experiences. I'm like, man, this really hits home. And I, I didn't listen to this song on the album, like track one, side B. But again, from the first time watching that video, it hit me hard on like an emotional level. Yeah. And I, I felt the uh, the enormity of the lyrical content and what so many different like veterans have gone through, and even families who have like lost their loved ones in war and yeah, I, I, James Hatfield tends to capture the ugliest moments sometimes and the harshest realities, yet he finds a way to create an uplifting tone. Listeners could walk away with motivation for a track that could be considered you know, very uh, emotionally heavy, yet Hatfield just has a way with words that no frontman in metal could uh, possibly create. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention one thing. I wanted to make a link between confusion and wherever I may roam. You know, there's a line in there that says, label him a deadwood soldier now, cast away and left to roam. What I was talking about, Hetfield's interview, I think uh, some of this song is autobiographical to his own struggles on the road earlier in their career, touring and touring and touring and... and um you kind of lose a sense of yourself and you know um i i think that he's gone through some traumatic things you know being burned on stage you know all the stuff that they that they went through um the loss of cliff uh that's you know being in that accident i i think there's 
you know, in wherever my, I mean, Rome is like, is like, you know, being a vagabond and being on tour and being, you know, being wherever you end up. And I think that this song could tie back into that. It's like you, you could make a link between Hardwired and the Black Album. And it's like, well, look where it started and look where it is now. So, like I said, definitely not only about veterans. Um, but I just I just wanted to mention that. And sometimes we get to see that in Headfield's lyrics, where it just ties back to a previous idea. Even just to jump off what you said with Headfield, you know, a song like Until It Sleeps is about his mother dying from cancer because, you know, he grew up in like a scientific, well, not scientific, but a, a Christian family that didn't believe in modern medicine were, you know, the benefits of science in the 70s. And, you know, he watched his mother die from cancer. And on top of that, like his dad took off when he was young. So really like his half brother played a, like a huge role in like raising him. So, you know, Hatfield definitely has gone through his stuff and I commend him for how open he is about his demons. And, you know, you see James post like rehab from like O2 until now, like any interview you watch, if you don't feel motivated, walk away with something that you could apply to your everyday life. What I'm trying to say is like, I, I listen to his words and I always absorb something that changes what I think about anything related to traumatic experiences, death, He's a huge influence for you and me. So it's just uh, commendable to see him so well-spoken and open-hearted. I, I think I take that away from him and apply that to my own life. Definitely. We've talked about some heavy stuff. And to quote James Hatfield, whenever Metallica plays Sad But True, Metallica gives you heavy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and Man Unkind, right away, the bass intro on this song Hearing Rob have like a sentimental moment that feels like a tribute to Cliff is really cool. Uh, his baseline really like hits the heart. And at the same time, I said this in my album review on thepopbreak.com. This song to me, for the first time in Metallica's personal songwriting career, not their covers, because they've covered Black Sabbath in the past. But this song really feels like a tribute to Black Sabbath. And the timing of the song really hit me as a listener. Because Sean and me went to see Black Sabbath on their final tour over the summer. And that was such an emotional experience watching the guys that created this genre. That means everything to me. And Sean put on one final grand finale and then called it a day. It really, like, it broke my heart but motivated me at the same time. And then flash forward a few months later to hear Metallica summon the grooves and, like, James, like, draw influence from Tony Iommi. That Throwing a bound, a bound, a bound, bound. Even Lars, like, you know, channeling Bill Ward. It's a really cool song. Yeah, man. So, pretty much, guys, hey, uh, we're having technology issues tonight, but no biggie. To just finish off what I was saying before, in my eyes, this was the first time Metallica really embraced the tonalities of Black Sabbath in their songwriting outside of Sabra Gadabra on Garage Yank. So, what did you think of? Man Unkind, the first time you heard it, the first time you saw the video. The first time I, I, I heard it, uh, the, the intro is is beautiful. And, it, you know, it's been mentioned uh, that it is a tribute to Cliff, which is which is heartfelt. Trujillo receives a writing credit on the, on the record for this intro, which is which is great. I like the biblical references in the song, uh, talking about, you know, kind of like Adam and Eve kind of thing. And I like the themes of the of the the track, which you know kind of relates to uh, human nature and kind of how fucked up human nature really is. 
But for me, as a metalhead, I didn't get into the song until he gets to the part with the, you know, with the with the with the down uh, with the downstroke uh, palm muting when he starts getting into the, you know, the fascinate that part, um, which is probably with this song is probably like two and a half minutes in, and then I start loving everything that's happening. Um, there's a huge like like load riff in there that kind of reminds me of or reload. Uh, what's the song? B- bad seed. Um, Choking on a bad seed. A bow, yeah. Bow, bow, bow. yeah. It reminds me of that riff, which which I I love. Um, so it, it's like a big load style riff, which which is cool. I wanted to mention something with side B. When we get to this point, when you get to man unkind. I've found that all problems that you come across can be fixed by turning up the volume. <laughs> and and it, it's true. And, and we'll, as we get through the songs, you'll see what I mean. Like, just go home, try it out. But um, I've come to love th- these tracks at, at higher volume. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that makes any sense. But if I, if I feel like I'm lost in something, just turning it up seems to work pretty well. But I, I I like the I like the seized by the day frozen captive by the night I, I think that's a, that's like a sick lyric, um, and uh, was this the video with the with like the black metal homage kind of thing? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was strange. I didn't like. I I, I didn't I didn't really get it, and um, <laughs> I thought that like if they were gonna do that with a, with a song like. I don't know. I mean, it, it maybe because the, the video actually makes sense, but not with this track. You know, I don't know. But I, I'm a like a huge black metal fan, so it's it's hard to like mix that stuff. But we can get into that at some other point. But um, I, I didn't really understand the video, but I think I think the song is cool. I think this is where the criticisms for the album start coming through is with Man Unkind, which I don't think is fair. I think it's a great track. Could they have done, you know, a more like thrashy song here? Sure, but like I said, side B is a different experience, and you know, now I, I can't hear it any other way, and I I definitely can't skip this song. So I don't skip songs anyway. I don't know where that started or who started that, but I don't skip tracks. But <laughs> but anyway, I'm just too old school. But um, I definitely dig Man Unkind for sure, and I, and I really like the lyrics. Um, and like the you know like the playing with that Garden of Eden kind of biblical aspect of things, which I thought was cool. Sabra Kadabra is one of my favorite Metallica covers of all time, and specifically the part where they throw in a national acrobat from like Sabbath Bloody yeah. Sabbath. Yeah, uh, you're where James and like Metallica they get very corrosion of conformity. Yeah, which I love. I, I love Pepper Keenan era. Yeah. Corrosion yep. and Deliverance, which was a huge influence on Heffield in the 90s. And yeah, so I listen to that song pretty frequently. And the song, Man Unkind, I felt like I discovered Sabra Kadabra again for the first time. And the correlation is definitely there from like a musical standpoint. To me, I hear like a Sabbath, the Corrosion and Conformity, maybe even like a Danzig sort of influence in Man Unkind. So that definitely caught my ear. And I love a good bounce. And I don't know if Metallica's ever bounced. There's such a groove to the song that isn't really in Metallica's typical style, which I thought was cool and different. And 
one of the more experimental songs that I personally really like. Yeah, it's, it's unashamedly bouncy. <laughs> and it works. I agree. And then the following song, Here Comes Revenge. If you are a fan of the Black Album, I don't know how you, you don't like this song. Me personally, I think the intro of this song is incredible. I, I would say it's a little bit too long. I wish they would have like trimmed it down. Like it's like about like a seven minute song. I wish they would have kept it around like five minutes, like a black album song. But at the same time, you know, to hear James and Kirk, you know, phrase their riffs in a way that reminds me of a wolf and man where the God that failed, where the struggle within. It was just cool to hear Metallica embrace the style that really turned them into a global phenomenon. They were already huge with Justice, but the Black Album made them into like ACDC, Rolling Stones, Legends, you know? Yeah, Here Comes Revenge definitely reminds me of, you know, the Black Album tracks that you mentioned. But I, I also want to say that the, the intro, if you listen to it without that, I don't, that strange noise that Kirk is doing in the intro, if you just listen to the rhythm behind it, there's something very, like, almost Harvester of Sorrow about it. Definitely something on on Injustice about that, that intro. Um, but the groove of it is very Black Album. And Of Wolf and Man comes to mind. And Of Wolf and Man is perfect, is, is a perfect, you know, tie-in uh, for this track. And um, Here Comes Revenge, you know, kind of struck me lyrics um talking about the first line of the song little grave i'm grieving i will mend you and i and i read some interviews with with the band and and with headfield personally it seems to be about you know possibly could be about one of their fans who unfortunately lost a child and you know like i said we're dealing with some really heavy shit here and side b is, is heavy as fuck subject matter wise so I, I I really like the revenge aspect of the song. I think it sounds aggressive. I think the 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 riffing is is great. Um, it is it is a little long. I think you know they repeat "Here Comes Revenge" maybe one too too many times, but I dig the track and musically, it's it's one of my favorites on this on this side because it's definitely a metal song. But um, I like the the aggression in the lyrics, like you know never experienced this myself but this it just it just seems like it's such a deep topic that uh it's emotional but yet it fits into the aggressive aspects of of the music so i i totally dig here comes revenge and it's up there it's not you know it doesn't fall to the top of the bottom um but in the upper middle of, of my ranking of of side b it's a great track I have a few criticisms, but there's like a drum sample around like the 111 mark where it's like a and I'm like, what is that? It sounds like Megadeth, like Risk. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I, this song and the following song is where I would sit down with Greg Fiddleman and ask him like, hey man, I wish you would have like just kind of gathered Metallica around and been like, that doesn't work or maybe we should like trim these songs down by like two minutes or so. Just... Yeah, you said it before, too much Here Comes Revenge for my personal liking. But there's definitely moments in the song to smile about for the diehard Metallica fan. 
Yeah, yeah. It, like I said, it, you know, I think they, they repeat the chorus a couple times too 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 many uh, for me. But um, I have to listen for the sample, the 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 part that you're talking about. I remember you mentioned it earlier. It's funny the things that we that we pick out. But I think that the reason that this you know this side and and this part of the record gets a lot of talk whether good or bad is because there's you have to start thinking at this point in the record it's not handed to you and i think when you've got to start thinking about stuff obviously you're going to come up with criticisms to work your way through that in your head and i think that's what's going on uh in, in this track so perhaps you know like you said it does go on a little too long it would have been uh, a little shorter and sweeter at the five minute mark but this is what we got and i i agree with with the you know the length is is a little too much but but the the riffs are are fucking great and i love the subject matter it's deep it's it's pretty dark talking you know talking about this revenge she's trying to enact on somebody uh for taking a life you know kind of a life for a life or eye for an eye kind of thing so that's here comes revenge yeah, man. Really, the next song is the one where I'm putting on my critical hat. And the, <laughs> you know, for the most part, like, I love this record, but Am I Savage, there's elements in the song that I like. There's, there's some, like, evil sounding riffs, like a Diamond Head, Black Sabbath kind of vibe, I feel. But at the same time, this is the point of the album where I think we needed, like, a thrasher or something that was up tempo because. Between like Here Comes Revenge, Am I Savage, and then Murder One, it's like 25 minutes of like kind of a slower paced Metallica. And yeah, like Am I Savage, I just, I try to not skip songs when yeah. it comes to listening to an album because I respect the artist. Like I want to experience the full like picture and scope of the album. But most of the time in the car, when I have side B in my CD player, I skip this track and yeah. I just, I really think that Lords of Summer should have been slotted into this into this position. Lords of Summer is thrashy and it's got a mix of Metallica's ingredients from Kill Em All, Lightning, Puppets, Justice, Black, and even Load. And yeah, man, Am I Savage just it goes on and on. It gets a little tedious, and I prefer Here Comes Revenge. Out of the two songs, I would have, I would definitely pick Here Comes Revenge. But with M.I. Savage, I honestly think Greg Fiddleman should have like stepped up in this sense and demanded better. Like this is probably my least favorite Metallica song they've put out since like a song like Sweet Amber or something. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I'm just I'm not trying to like crap on St. Anger. It just I love that song. <laughs> Sweet Amber. Yeah. I mean <laughs> awesome. they're just not the best display of Metallica. I would have personally cut the song from the album. And I would have been happy. <laughs> but yeah, man, I just like, I didn't mean to take it like a complete, like, no, ax no. to the song. But, uh, what do you think, man? It's, it's, um, I was pretty, I was pretty mean, savage. <laughs> you were you're pretty savage. I, I, I would also, um, you know, I would, I would also pick, um, revenge over, over, over savage. Um, you know, so since you since you took the axe to it, I will I will try to speak about the, the things that I like about it. Um, it. It's you know we're we're in agreement because it's my least favorite song also uh, on the record. 
but there's things that I like about it, and I like that they've done kind of like a werewolf epic here, uh, which kind of ties back to a wolf and man and back to a better day, right? Like it's like like it's you know you've got this father son crazy like werewolf kind of fucking story, and it's out there and it's a little strange, but but it 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 you know it has some some cool points to it. Um, I don't really get into the song until that that part um, where it's like this really trebly part where he's he's down picking and, and he's he's saying uh, arching back shape shift range father how I've watched you change I, I think that's a pretty cool part in the song and um, I like the you know and then it is very repetitive and, it, and it's you hear that chorus uh, one too many times and but I do like the uh, the end where you hear that that ha 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 that part where it, like <laughs> the drums click at the same time. I think that's cool that they that they put that in there. Um, but there is there are some cool like rhythm um, rhythmic things in between the verses that I that I appreciate. Um, and I think the song could have been much cooler than it is. Uh, I'm not completely knocking it, but it's it's not my it's not my favorite, and I think that side B resurrects after this point, and it, and I think that's probably the lowest point that it goes. So, and it, that's saying a lot because this record is incredible. So, we we both come to the same conclusion. We we would have we would have scratched Demi Savage in in one way or another, uh, and put a, you know put a, another track on there, um, Lords of Summer possibly, or or maybe something else out of the million songs that they wrote, but. You know, I I like the subject matter. I like uh, I like horror. I like you know, obviously Kirk is a huge horror fan. Um, you know, the song probably looks cool when he plays his plays his Frankenstein guitar, but but, mm-hmm. but um, you know, from from that aspect, I like that the horror storytelling piece of it. Uh, I like kind of the tie back to of Wolf and Man, maybe not sonically, but you know, lyrically, and. Um, I like that arching back shape shifter range part because of the guitar and it makes me want to learn that, that piece. It's, it sounds really simple, but I definitely want to learn it. And, um, so there's, there's not a lot to grab onto because it, it does run on. I mean, it, it runs on a little too long, but, but it's kind of the same thing. So there's not too many changes in it, but this record throws changes at us like left and right. So I guess that's, that's an okay thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I personally would have called the song "Am I Randy Savage" as a tribute <laughs> to Macho Man, and I would have just had yeah. James just go "Oh yeah," you know, and just where the "Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah," you know, just like samples of Randy and James saying "Oh yeah" back to back. Let's do that. Nick. Can we just have like, a, <laughs> and then and then they could have had like Slim Jims in the video, you know? Been Snap great. it to hard bar to self destructs. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brewer, so, you know, we got to hit a Brewer. Maybe you, me, and him will record Am I Randy Savage? Let's do it. <laughs> I'll hit him up. Hey, Jim. All right. You remember we spoke, you know, around like, you know, December, January? Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll just leave that song. This That was my biggest criticism. I, I just did not understand. Like, there's a quote from James Hatfield where he talks about like load and reload where like one of his few regrets is that he thinks that the Metallica sound was poisoned a little bit, like I'm paraphrasing, but what he means is that 
like having so many songs within like a year, two year period, maybe like tainted the unique experience of listening to Metallica. And that's like where I would say, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, with Am I Savage, 12 songs, I, I personally would have cut Am I Savage, but it's all good because the next song I happen to like a lot, which is called Murder One. If you are unfamiliar with Motorhead, let me kill Meister. He used to start off every show by saying we are Motorhead and we play rock and roll. And Murder One is known as his favorite amplifier. So the song is pretty much a tribute to the godfather of hard rock and heavy metal. And I just love the intro. Reminds me of Sanitarium. Yeah, and yes. And it builds into like a very Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, John Bottom, John Paul Jones inspired rhythm and riff. And Metallica grooves on the song. And it's a really unique, fun tribute where James just makes a lot of references to different Motorhead songs. Yeah. That's basically what he does. <laughs> I, you know, I'll have to surprisingly say that I hate songs that are attributed to people. They never come out good and they never come out right. Um, when I was like, oh, they're doing a Lemmy song, I was like, oh, man. Like, I, I didn't, you know, not that it's not cool. It's just it, it, it never turned out right. And and they got it right with Murder One. Um I was I was kind of dreading this, and and I know that sounds strange, but I just don't like tributes, you know. I just it, it doesn't. It's like all right, we have this album with a theme, and then we're gonna put a tribute on it. But this totally fits, and um, I love this track. And this is one of those ones where you, the, the higher the volume, the better it sounds. Um, I love the intro also, and uh, my favorite parts are of the song are where where he says like the like the white lines fading part, the iron horse rolls on and on right after he says on and on. And the, and the, you know, that, the guitar kicks in and that, that it's so fucking heavy. It's like, that's so still your thunder. Yeah. <laughs> that it's one so heavy, man. It that, it sounds incredible. Like it's ripping your fucking head off. And, um, that shit sounds great. I mean, it's so, um, I love this track. You get a, a sick, Kirk solo. We haven't talked about any solos, but you get an insane uh, solo on the on this song. I I you know I, I I love it. I think the video is pretty fucking cool. It kind of tells the story of Lemmy and and like his like his whole story with with drugs and sex and rock and roll kind of that whole thing. And he's absolutely a legend. And um, it's a it's a fitting tribute. And I kind of think that it fits with the theme of the album and i don't think anyone's talking about that and i think what i mean by that is this man kind of ruled the world but probably asked himself a lot of the same questions that come up in a lot of these songs about mankind and about destruction self-destruction is is i think let me passed away you know playing video games you know so like what, what what does it say about what we do to ourselves? And and, and I think uh, somewhere in the back of his mind, Hetfield has a thing for rock star tragedies somewhere. And I think it's been inspiring uh, their music for a while with Death Magnetic and and now with Hardwired. I think that's it's back there somewhere. What's 
happening to the musicians and the inspirations around us. And I think that's where it fits into the theme of the record. So definitely a great track, and it gets me pumped for the next song. <laughs> yeah, and before we get to the next song, I just have to point out that obviously I would say Motorhead's the biggest musical influence on Metallica by far. Even down to James Hetfield, we've spoken a lot about him, but the way he carried himself, the way he phrases certain like lyrical lines, the bark in his voice, even his look in the late 80s and early 90s with the long hair and the rubber jack beard he had, that was all inspired through Lemmy. And yeah. for James, that was a way for him to pay tribute to his hero. I mean, you hear it in like Ace of Spades, I, I'm, I, we're overkill, don't sweat it, yeah, don't sweat it, and like point that out to like Dyer's Eve, that dear mother, dear father, you know, there's like a certain rasp and aggression that inspired James from a vocal standpoint where he drew like such uh, influence from Lemmy, and to me, I was definitely excited to hear Metallica, you know, a seven minute track just pay tribute to their biggest hero out of all the heroes they have. They've always been open-hearted and very vocal about who's influenced them, but no one more than Lemmy. And even like on Garage Inc. on the second disc, you know, back in 95, Metallica played Lemmy's 50th birthday party and the whole band dressed up as Lemmy. There's such a history between these two bands. I wish that instead of them recording a record, with Lou Reed, I wish they would have done a record with Lemmy. I, that might have been the coolest collaboration that we never got, ever. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a crazy point. Imagine that. Yeah, I mean, there's stories of, like, Lars Ulrich, like, like 18 years old, like, driving across Europe, like, chasing Motorhead's tour bus, you know, and, like, eventually getting onto it and just being the, the quiet kid in the corner because he was too fucking nervous to say anything. So... The, the stories go way back into the into the early early 80s with Metallica or what what would become Metallica and Motorhead so so much uh, legendary shit there and here's another point to like take it one step further Lars saw how Lemmy treated Lemmy treated Lars with so much respect and the fans with so much respect that like Lars and I would even say James and Cliff and Kirk back then absorbed that. And it carried into Metallica's career. We experienced that firsthand, episode three of Poetic Metal, where, you know, out of all the guys, they were all great, but Lars was the classiest of the bunch. And to think that, like, you know, Motorhead and Lemmy inspired that mindset, it's commendable. It's a great piece of metal history and a story I love. Definitely. And, man, we're at the end of side B with what I think is the best song on the entire album. And that goes for both albums. And I'm talking about spit out the bone. This is a song that Metallica fans have wanted since 1988. Let me repeat that since 1988, it's Metallica truly re-embracing thrash metal at speeds and musical precision that we haven't heard since Dyer's Eve. And when I first heard Spit Out the Bone, like I got home, this was back in November, when the record came out, I got home, I listened to Side B on my Walkman, and up to that point, I was thinking, man, Side A is so much better. And then all of a sudden, this intro kicks in. And for eight minutes, I felt like I heard the second coming of Damage Inc. 
one of my personal favorite Metallica songs. I literally asked Lars if they would play it. And, you know, Metallica and Standard Tuning playing extremely fast. You hear, like, James's voice, and it sounds like he's in his prime again, like, 86 through 93. And once you get into that chorus, bro, it's just like, man overthrown! Uh, you know, that scream sounds like straight out of battery or creeping death. Oh, dude. And for the band in their mid-50s to resurrect thrash metal mid to late 80s Metallica was the cherry on the top. One of the best experiences that I've had as a Metallica fan just to witness thrash metal Metallica and to witness them resurrect the sound they created was one of the just I'm in awe. I, I it's like I'm speechless talking about spit out the bone. <laughs> and I and I knew that would happen because it's it's one of those tracks that will make leave you fucking speechless. I mean, it is the best song on the record, best musically, the best fucking song. I mean, it's um, I I've you know learned to play the the guitar intro, and I'm you know no expert by any means at all. I'm just an intermediate player and it's fucking fun difficult and and it's so thrash and you we haven't heard anything like this you know ever uh i know you're comparing it to you know all the other tracks that you mentioned you know from back in the day and it has all of that in it and but we just it's 2017 man like how the fuck did spit out the bone happen how did it happen <laughs> I've heard uh, Rob Trujillo say that uh, of his of the songs on the record, this is the one that he's the most proud of uh, for the bass work because it's got that you know that bass uh, like like when you know when when the guitars drown out and and the bass is is turned up and I don't know what what's going on with that bass it's like it's like distorted or or something it has a different tone than it does the rest of the song but it sounds great this the vocal delivery like you mentioned is is definitely something like you know like dire's eve or, or um it just we we haven't heard anything like that in, in what 25 30 years it's fucking crazy i mean i was i was four years old when justice came out um so you know obviously have no memory of it but but um this i i, I i'm speechless i i was literally speechless when i i i was also in orlando and when i saw this and uh, I remember telling you, like I was texting you about Spit Out the Bone, and you were you didn't finish everything, like you didn't finish all the videos yet. You like you were refraining, and which was you know which was cool. Um, and I just remember going to the hotel that night and listening over and over and over again, like what the fuck did I just hear, you know? And the video is crazy. It's all sci-fi and uh, it's like this like Mad Max like kind of thing and it's it's just insane but um all that awesome stuff aside if just to talk talk about what the lyrics are really about the song couldn't be more pertinent to today you know come unto me and feel and, and you will feel per perfection um you know basically like about you know mankind like just becoming a bunch of fucking cyborgs and how far away are we from that concept anyway i mean we're you know we plug into me 
uh, I guarantee devotion. You know, it's 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 you know to me it's about the, the society we live in. I mean, we're tied to these phones, we're tied to this technology, we're in for the long haul with this shit. And what does it mean about us? Like, you know, we don't we don't need to breathe at some point. We don't we don't need a heart. It's only good for beating. You know. Man overthrown, spit out the bone. Um, and and I have to say that when he when he says spit out the bone, it's the coolest fucking delivery of a title that I just remember in 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 Metallica's history. Like it's it's so the way that he says bone, it's like it has like H's and W's and M's and N's, like letters that aren't even in bone. <laughs> like in it, the way that he delivers it, it's so fucking cool. And I I can't get enough of this track. This ties into our last podcast about Sade, where Metallica and James, they are at their best when they speak about the world in front of them. When James is critical of society and our flaws, especially, as you mentioned, us being so dependent on technology, losing our sense of humanity because we're so reliant on our smartphones and our tablets to like pretty much... We don't directly communicate anymore. It's all text. It's all email. And with like potential job, like the future of our economy is that computers are going to take jobs from like commercial truck driving to delivery with drones. Like there's some scary times ahead. And James, you know, science fiction is always referenced to forewarn us about what's ahead. And this song touches on that where. James has given us a forewarning that, like, 30 years from now, God forbid we wind up like Terminator 2, Judgment Day. You know, like, someone will discover the CD and listen to that song and realize why, like, humanity caused our own downfall. And I, I'm getting out there with, like, the lyrical concept. But to bring it back to the music, you know, Rob's bass line in that song, that... I feel like he went for, like, a kill em all Cliff Burton, anesthesia pulling teeth sort of approach and tone it just really brought the metallica sound back to the 80s and not to knock jason it's just a bass tone and sound and level of virtuosity in my opinion that hasn't been there since 1986 and on top yeah. of that you know speaking of 1986 i'm sorry I, I cut you off but kirk hammett you know we've only mentioned his name a few times in this podcast but this is kirk hammett circa 86 with yeah. the harmonies and the arpeggios, some of like the most uh, vibrant, like standout moments of the entire both sides of the album are Kirk's like main solos in this track and the virtuosity he displays. So many people online criticize this guy. Meanwhile, he's one of the most influential, down to earth, and creative lead guitarists of our generation, and for three generations at this point. And to hear him reintroduce like neoclassical phrasing and dynamics into his playing really inspired me just to like open up my guitar book and go through my scales and like work on my picking because <laughs> he just you know it's it's kirk at his best like kirk walking out of like a lesson with joe satriani circa 84 kirk <laughs> yeah vir vir true virtuoso I, I like how you mentioned the the neoclassical stuff he's definitely getting into that territory and then on top of that to mention that he went into the studio and kind of just winged it, you know, like he practices, you know, he practiced the night before, as he mentioned, and he, he did his scales and he did his runs and he knew what key the song was in. Uh, he knew the changes, he knew when they were coming, but he didn't, he didn't write any of this stuff. 
according to him. He wrote basic structures for his solos, and then he went in and just winged it. For for the entire album, that's the way that he said that he did this. He wrote a, a basic framework and then just went in and, and did it. And, man, he rips it in this song. And it's it's so killer, and it's so fucking Kirk, circa 86, 80, 84, 88. <laughs> and and um, it just... I, I, it doesn't get any better, but you know, like you said, you were getting out there with the concept, and uh, I don't think you're too far ahead of where we're where we're headed. And um, the the line that sticks with you is, you know, disappear like man was never here. And I think that takes like a, you know, like like th- that takes a, a standpoint that we kind of haven't heard since like like, like ride the lightning kind of uh, like blacking. With, or black and like you know just this very apocalyptic theme and um you know they they kind of have a fascination with with apocalypse but it brings up the best in their songwriting like it's, more it, of that the four horsemen um you know even like later like my apocalypse you know shit like that like they there there's the theme there that will not that will always be synonymous with metallica with kill em all with with um kind of an end of the world thing or four horsemen type thing um you know man sins and and what they do to him and you know i think it's just it's just become ingrained in the band at this point and this song captures the theme of the record and does i mean how the like you go out on on a high note you can't go out on any higher note than spit out the bone there's no way there's no there's nothing else you could have done to, to be to go out bigger than this song. So, you know, I have to beg the question, Anthony, like, you know, Hardwired or um, excuse me, Death Magnetic went out on my apocalypse and we're trying to in our last podcast we said maybe that set up what we got now. If we go out on Spit Out the Bone, what the hell's next? I hope they stick to <laughs> the Spit Out the Bone, Atlas Rise, Hardwired, Moth to Flame, Formula. As much, and again, you made a great point in the last podcast where you said, you know, mid to late 90s Metallica was great in its own way. But what I'm trying to say is that, like, when my friends, I have some friends who criticize the hell out of Metallica, and I listen to what they have to say. Sure. And the one thing I do agree with is that no matter what, Metallica at their best is the mid 80s, late 80s dynamic of you know, thrashy epics with a lot of time changes and melodic guitar riffs and harmonies. Everything this song captures is Metallica at their best. And it's Metallica just like resurrecting the spirit of what made their their first four albums so magical and so innovative and so groundbreaking and timeless. The one thing Metallica, more so than any of the other big four thrash bands is that those records I feel are more timeless and have aged better and have a better legacy as time goes on. And I continue to see young kids now in the, the 11, 12 and 13 year olds, like I was, and you were wearing the rival lightning shirts, wearing the master of puppet shirts. And, you know, again, Metallica at their best is playing fast thrash metal with tons of melody. And this was like the greatest Christmas present I could have asked for like the highlight maybe of 2016 for me was listening to this song. And I'm not exaggerating <laughs> just to feel that again. Like, we, 
<laughs> we now know what it feels like. What it, like we know because we came around after what people would consider their prime per se. You yeah. know, even though we don't agree with that, but now I know what it must have felt like when my aunt saw them at Lemoore's in '86. You know, and right. hearing Damage Inc. were disposable heroes for the first time. Like we got that, and it it was a much welcome return. Probably the greatest comeback song I've heard. I, I can't even compare it to anything else, man. It's just Metallica being the best Metallica they could be. Yeah, and, and the song itself, like, they introduce melody where, you know, it's a straight, like, it, it's not a straight thrash song. It does go everywhere. It does. It has so many time changes, but not just, like, you know, these breakneck speed time changes that are in it, but also, like, parts that open up, you know, these fits of, like, melodic things, like... uh the part where he's saying like "Stop breathing," like that piece is just hey, dedicate to me. Yeah, incredible. And then, and then you you get like uh, some double bass with the with the drums there, uh, and it's just these different ideas that like that could be a song in itself, and then and then it just snaps back into the the, the very jagged like uh, spit out the bone structure, and it's it's fucking it just blows my mind every time I hear it. Um, I I've, I love this song so much that I actually like on YouTube watched other people's reaction videos to hearing it for the first <laughs> time just because I want to experience that again. I want to hear it for the first time again. I can't, so I watch theirs instead. You know, it's not to be like complete fanboy about it, but why why wouldn't I be? I mean, <laughs> that's why I love the band. So I would say this is Metallica's best guitar tone, like James and Kirk's best guitar tone since the Black Album. There's just a like, especially the part where like the breakdown comes in that dun 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 just the 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 distortion. I you know like I referenced this in the last podcast in my album review that in many of these songs you see James using the white Electra that he used in the early and late you know early and mid eighties. Yeah, he recorded with the Eat Fuck guitar from the Damage Justice tour. You know, there's magic. In that fretboard, there is a spirit in that fretboard, and to see him like going back to those guitars and writing, it, it, it correlates. It's it's kinetic energy that you can't replicate, and there's a reason why he uses those guitars. You know, again, Metallica, the last two albums have not like run away from their past, and part of them re-embracing their past has been re-embracing those instruments and those amps and those cabinets and amp heads and. It made such a huge difference in the songwriting. And for the non-musician, you cannot discount what you're... It's a relationship that is indescribable. And it's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's the perfect marriage. Yeah, what, what your guitar does to you. What, you know, uh, what your collection does to you. You touch a guitar, a certain guitar. You're going to write something in a certain way, no matter how much... You, you can't block it out. Like That history, and I can only imagine <laughs> them... Uh, you know the, the memories on on all those instruments, but I mean even just for me, like I have you know five six guitars, and I touch one thing, and you know if it's single coil or something, it, it brings out a different feel than some of these other you know guitars with all these humbuckers and and or whatever. It's just it's just it's just a different it's a different style. So it's going to have an impression on the band, and then and then take that to like level five thousand with. With you mentioned like the eat fuck guitar and and all this shit, like seeing him play that stuff, 
is so cool just to just to see him hold those those instruments again and it definitely influenced who knows how much of this record is influenced by just you know touching those those instruments that are so iconic with the band before they recorded the album james had a mindset that he wanted to combine kill em all with the black album and as we kind of like wrap up our review, I think that's what they accomplished with this record. It's just, uh, it, you can feel that in the songwriting. Uh, James using old instruments, Kirk using, more so in the videos, you can see he's using the mummy guitar that he's been playing for the last 15 years and whatnot. But I'm sure that like Greg had him record through some old amp heads and to hear Kirk re-embrace the neoclassical aspects of his guitar playing where Lars recording with the Old Bridge Metal Militia flag to his left, where Rob channeling Cliff Burton. There's an appreciation for Metallica's past and Metallica's present and Metallica's future that this record combines into a really magnificent, dare I say, masterpiece. It's it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. I completely agree with you. There's no... Um, and, you know, for for their age... I, I didn't expect to see something like this, like masterclass record that that is just sonically sounds so unlike what I was expecting. I, I mean, I, I expected it to be thrash. I expected it to be heavy. I expected it to be Metallica. But the way that you that you mentioned combining Kill em All with the Black Album, they've accomplished that. And and. and not to say that this is a kill em all or this is a black album, no. But I understand that concept. I understand, you know, what what they've done. Um, and and I just, it blows my mind that we get this record 2016, 2017, and in less than a month, we get to go see him play it. Yo, and I, I refuse to compare this record to the first four, five records. I think Metallica truly gave us everything they had, the best they could give us at this point in their lives in their like their early to mid fifties, without question. Like I, I see it in the video clips, and I see it in how they promoted this record, and how they've been carrying the torch for metal again. They put out a contest this week for like local bands in Chicago, Milwaukee, Atlanta to open up for them. To me, it's so commendable puts an end to what's been a really incredible decade for Metallica ever, ever since they worked with Rick Rubin and yeah. with Death Magnetic and now with Hardwired and this upcoming tour. It's just a good day to be alive, sir. Good day to be alive, he said, to quote James and No Leaf Clover. <laughs> <laughs> good, day to, good day to be alive and with GA tickets and standing in front of them at MetLife, MetLife Stadium in about four weeks. I cannot freaking wait. And I got to see Metallica like a year ago, obviously a different scenario. And the band looked so excited and rejuvenated when I saw them in October. And that was at a festival where they played in front of a bunch of people who didn't know anything about them. I can only imagine how they're going to perform with 70, 80,000 people going ballistic because it's been nearly eight years, nine years since they've done a proper tour. <laughs> I'm going to go nuts that day. I can't even wait. So just to get our final thoughts, I guess, on side B and overall the entire record, I, I would say the only big criticism I have is I wish we had more Kirk in terms of the songwriting 
on this record. Most of the tracks are credited to Lars and James, which is cool, and they definitely killed it. But I think there is a certain creative input missing, and people like to shit on Kirk, and to that I say fuck you. <laughs> but um, you know, people forget how huge of a contribution he's made to Metallica's discography, whether it's Fade to Black, Dire's Eve, Creeping Death, Bleeding Me, and really, most importantly, Enter Sandman. Most of us, most of you probably even listening to this podcast wouldn't know the band if it weren't for that song. And, you know, Kirk's the ultimate team player, so I applaud him for his effort as a lead guitarist. I think he killed it with his solos. Probably, I would say, his best solo since Load. I wish he had a little bit more songwriting credits, but at the end of the day, James brought out the best in himself and to see him put on the hat of absorbing the world around him and channeling that aggression into his songwriting. This was incredible. One of the gems in Metallica's historic catalog, a new classic, a modern classic. And yeah, man, give me a little bit of your feedback altogether. You know, the whole, the whole experience. Yeah, the, the the hardwired experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, um, I I wish that Kirk had some more contributions, uh, you know, writing writing contributions as well. But but in the end, um, what does it mean? Uh, I'm glad that Hetfield got to write his record. I I think I you know I and I I would I would call it I would selfishly call it his record. Um, because of the because of the concepts, I feel like this this war, this battle, this confusion—it's all going on in his head, and I think he truly got to be the front a front man's front man again, uh, and totally you know be at the forefront, and you know maybe maybe he was never comfortable doing that in in those early years when we think that he was, you know, in the early eighties and the you know the iconic era of Metallica. And I think, you know, in the 90s, he kind of stepped back and, and, you know, creatively let the band do some different things. And I am a 90s kid. I am uh, definitely a 90s Metallica fan. Um, that's how I came to know them. I've already told my Metallica story, but I didn't really get into Load and Reload. I fucking love those records. They, they... You know, we'll have to do another. We'll have to do a load uh, podcast for sure. But, but um, I and I, I'm glad that Hetfield got to make Hardwired, and I and I really feel him at the forefront, like I like I haven't felt before, um, you know, or or at least since since back in the day, and the vocal delivery I have to applaud on this record, the rhythm, the tones that that. Uh, they achieved both Kirk and and James are incredible. The bass is present in every song in a way that not only you know mimics uh, you know the, that doubles the the rhythm, but it also brings a unique element that only Trujillo can 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 make in his own way. And Lars tries some new things on this record. Uh, on the drums that I that I applaud him for as well, and just some different ideas. And uh, and Lars takes so much shit as a drummer, and it's just it's horrible how, how much criticism this man gets. But I fucking love Lars, and there's nobody that has a live uh, fan participation like presence, you know, when you know gets everything going. And I I love that, and um, 
I think that this is the the most you know while I say it's Hetfield's record the sound sounds like a band it sounds balanced it's not a one man show but my point was you know Hetfield really does get to speak his mind and say the shit that he wants to say with this record and um it's unapologetic does it end on a good note I don't know it's spit out the bone I mean I think it does you know is it a positive thing it could be uh, or we could all be fucked and I think that that's the the comic relief, but also the harsh reality of of the days that we live in, and I, for Metallica to stand on top of a statement like that in 2016, 17 is uh, it says everything about where their head is at and how current these guys actually are. And I'm, you know, I'm overjoyed that I we have the opportunity to through this podcast express our thoughts and I'm uh, happy that we began with hardwired and you know, whatever uh, music we go on to from here uh, you know, I just wanted to say that this had to happen the way that it did. We had to split the record in half talking about it and uh, we had to start with hardwired because it's so current, it's so new and it's, you know, we are Metallica fans. So we're going to see them in less than a month. I couldn't be more excited. And I'm grateful for this record. You know, to quote Lars, early in the process, he told Kirk and Rob that he really wanted to zone in on James and bring out the best in James's songwriting. So right there and then, you know, they have a Paul McCartney, John Lennon dynamic that very few bands have. I think that's what separates Metallica from the pack is the chemistry between them two and then with Kirk being such a calming influence and such a nice yeah. guy and, you know, uh, so such a team player and then Rob really just being that calm, confident, virtuoso bassist that they hadn't had since Cliff. It just, it's four ingredients that perfectly blend together and to hear James just pour his soul and his heart into these songs I think it's their best display of songwriting since No Leaf Clover and Minus Human. And in general, I would say this is their best record since the Black Album, which says a lot because I love Load. I like Reload. Garaging and SM are their own thing. St. Anger is its own thing. And I loved Death Magnetic, but Metallica is Metallica again, you know? And yeah, yeah. It's just. Uh, I don't take for granted that we're talking about a new Metallica record in 2016, 2017. You know, the only band to me that's comparable is Anthrax because their yeah. last two records have been so like downright perfect. Right. See these bands just remain so humble and so influenced by like current metal and the past, the present, the future. Metallica is taking out Volbeat and Avenged. They're even taking out Gojira. So they give back to the bands that will carry the torch for us for the, the next 30 years. And, you know, they do everything they can for us as metalheads. Uh, where would my life be without them? I really don't know. It's a scary thought. Would that's I not- be here? Yeah, you know, it's like, it, that's a whole different discussion. But what I'm trying to say is that I want our listeners to just, you know, appreciate the magnitude of the biggest band in this genre's history. Still killing it. 
performing. They don't have outside songwriters. They're writing their own riffs. They're writing their own songs. You know, they're making the decisions. They're even independent. They put out this record through Black and Recordings. You know, they have their own record label. They own their own masters. They come up with all these different creative packages to put out their music. They there's stages and their you know technology, their social media. It's so modern and advanced. It's a band that doesn't. They're not has bands by any means. They're the opposite. They are right. cutting edge. So you know, thank you, Metallica. Again, I can't wait for May fourteenth. It's just cool. Uh, it's inspiring to see Metallica so far into their career remain so youthful and inspired by metal and music and to remain creative. I hope to age as gracefully as they have and to live a life as, you know, just epic as they have lived. So, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man. Anything else you'd like to add? Or? No. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see the band and I, I can't wait to fucking walk through the gate and know that we're going to see, you know, Avenged and Volbeat and Metallica in the same day uh, from from that distance is going to be fucking epic. So I'm so excited. We will rock. Dude, I cannot wait. We will have... Uh, we've been looking forward to this day for a long time now. It's been a long time coming and... No life to leather. We will kick some ass on that night, May 14th. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, man. Let's wrap it up. Uh, this has been one of my, if not my favorite podcast we've done so far. And to dissect Metallica and talk metal with you is nothing short of a pleasure. And Same here, best, brother. The best is yet to come. If you like what you have heard on SoundCloud, you can check us out on Facebook.com slash Poetic Metal. And both Twitter and Instagram at poetic underscore metal. We definitely have a lot more podcasts coming with different bands, different albums, new albums, old albums. Believe us, more is on the horizon. And Sean, anything you'd like to plug before we go? Um, not necessarily plug, but I'm writing a piece on a band called Karak Angren. Um, they are a uh, Norwegian uh, symphonic black metal band that I'm obsessed with for the last year of my life, and uh, I, I haven't finished it yet. But you know, I'm in the, you know, the the drafting stages of it, and when we put it out, we could possibly share it through through our Instagram and link it up. Um, just wanted to mention that. Definitely, and dude, I would also like to see you write about Buckethead, if possible. I am so happy that you said that. <laughs> And, and uh, I may have to have force you to listen to about 260 Buckethead records, and then we can have our own <laughs> Bucket podcast. But uh, I'm so happy that you mentioned that. Yes, absolutely, I will. So, uh, yeah, I right now I'm trying to secure some interviews with some badass bands that will be coming through the area. I wish I could say it's Metallica, but it's pretty damn close. I promise you that. I'm talking some heavy hitters and modern metal. I don't want to reveal anything too soon, but hopefully some cool interviews are coming my way very soon. That would be on the poprite.com. And yeah, I might do another wrestling podcast coming up. Uh, I did a WrestleMania podcast. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. So keep an eye out for what I'm doing as well as plus, you know, Sean, uh, I can't wait to read your stories and kind of 
the bands, you know, with the whether it's black metal or you know instrumental virtuosity, we're we're all for just great music, and that's what poetic metal is all about. So uh, yeah, Sean, thank you so much again. Thank you. And you got it. So all right, guys, till next time. Keep it poetic. Keep it metal. Rock on. <laughs>